1995-ish. I was 23 years old. I was working a crap job for Milwaukee County in their transportation department. And I was young. I thought I was so mature at 23, and now looking back at it, it was really just a kind of a dumb age. The brain wasn't quite finished cooking yet, but I, I was reveling in my newfound maturity and adulthood, and by God, much like Preston, I was going to do it all by myself. With all my book smarts and lack of street knowledge and no experience really living on my own and all of the money-handling skills of a blackjack player who doesn't know how to count to 21. That was me at 23. So needless to say, I was hanging by a thread a lot of the time. Maxing out my $500 limit credit card living off of whatever food I could afford for like a buck, barely getting my rent together, barely paying for a bus pass so I could get to work. And things got to a point where I was literally on the edge. One more bad day and I was going to be in a lot of trouble financially and then personally rolling out from there. And I'd been so determined to do this whole adulting thing by myself that I tunnel visioned my way into never telling anybody what was going on, not my parents, not my friends. But I was looking at a phone bill I couldn't pay and a credit card payment I couldn't pay and the rent coming due. And I did something I never thought I would do. I went and sat down with the manager of the company I was working for. She'd noticed that I'd been a little distracted, maybe not functioning my best during the workday. What's up? Well, I said, and I laid out my story about just how close I was to a little bit of devastation there. And right there at the desk, that one day, she wrote me a check for $200. $200 is the difference between getting through and just crashing completely. And it was a gift and not a loan. And it turned everything around for me. But it took me getting to that precipice, right to the edge of everything going wrong, to get over myself, to swallow my pride, to say I can't do this all by myself, to ask for help. I am not unusual in this regard. We fear asking for help in general. It is a human nature thing. Studies have shown we're, we're hardwired for independence, for independent thought. We are hardwired to have the first thought in our head often be, I can handle this. I can do this myself. 
And we fear asking for help because we fear surrendering that sense of control that comes with that independent thinking mind that somebody's going to be else, somebody else is going to be in charge of that one moment of our fate, of that one need we need to meet. And we fear that in asking for help, we're going to become a burden to others, that we're going to place some onus on them that they're not willing to meet. It feels socially awkward to ask for that help because now you're placing your problems on another human being and you fear perhaps that your standing in your friend circle or your community is going to diminish somewhat because now you've laid bare something you're not doing too well at at the moment. And we fear asking for help because we make so many assumptions about the people we are not asking help from that they are far too busy to deal with my minor problem. It can't measure up to whatever they're dealing with right now, and I'm sure they don't have the time, and probably maybe they don't even know what to do to help me in this situation, so I better not bother them. We say no on behalf of other people before we give them a chance to say yes so often. And we underestimate people's willingness to actually give the help. That's another assumption that we make. And at the same time, overestimate the amount of rejection we're going to get in asking for that help in the first place. And maybe, worst of all, we apply a rather pessimistic view of others in their self-interest and selfishness and assume Nobody's interested in helping us at all. And worst of all, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, we fear appearing vulnerable. We fear exposing what our troubles might be, how we are struggling in the world, because we think it makes us look weak. But going back to our Brene Brown stuff a few weeks ago when we were talking about courage, vulnerability is not weakness. Vulnerability is not the opposite of strength. Vulnerability is a strength. Vulnerability lets us connect to others in ways that we might be avoiding. Most of these fears that hold us back from asking for help are illusions. They are tricks that we play on ourselves. Because here's what we know. Social psychologists at Stanford have done tons of studies around the subject of asking for help and people's vulnerability. And here are a few things that they found over the years in various studies. One, people want to help. People are waiting to help. They want to be called on to give something of themselves in moments of need. They found that empathizing and helping are intuitive for people mostly. That those actions come naturally to us and that we feel happier when we have committed those acts of help and kindness to one another. And best of all, 
when we're able to be vulnerable with one another in those moments, when we're able to ask for help and share those moments of vulnerability, we draw together closer emotionally. The help binds us more tightly together, not out of obligation, but just out of kindness and empathy. So if you find yourself struggling to ask for help, challenge your own assumptions that you make before you ask the question. Are people really selfish at heart and self-interested? Don't, don't say no on behalf of someone before they've had a chance to say yes. People will tell you if they don't have the time, and I think more time than not, people will have the time and the skill to help. And most of all, understand and acknowledge your own capacity and willingness to help others. You know what you have inside you. You know what you're waiting to be called on to do. Apply that to the others around you. Are you the only altruistic person in the world or is somebody out there ready to match you? Kindness for kindness. Now this takes practice. Talking a lot about practice the last couple of months. Asking for help takes practice. And the good news is much like building a capacity for courage, at the intersection of us needing help and people's willingness to give help, there exists this thing called the church. The church exists, if anything else, to help people in hard times. That's why we get together in these groups. Early church history, when the first Christians started getting together, the churches were all about helping those most in need within their community, gathering together the, the wealth that lived among them and, and dispersing it out so that everybody was fed and everybody was clothed. That was the church. And here, we gather together and you find those moments for that emotional closeness that maybe you don't get anywhere else. And you get a chance to build for yourself a network of friends who are perhaps friends on a more intimate level than maybe you have anywhere else who are willing to be there for you, who will be there for you, and who you will be there for even without asking. It just happens. And here within the church, we have our own network of caring that is specifically built to meet the needs of others when they're going through hard times. We have a group of people who come together to help fill requests for rides to the doctor in the grocery store, help with shopping, visits to our elders who can't get to us too quickly, people who are looking out for especially the most vulnerable in our community so that we can do the work we're called to do of caring for one another. I think we have a few of our network here today. Sue Dryja is there. Sue may be the only one in the room right now. Okay, there's Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer's here too. A couple of our caring network teams, talk to them after the service. Ask them about what they do as part of the caring network. 
And all of that is practical help and a little bit of social help. But sometimes, sometimes the needs we have when we have to call out for help run a lot deeper than needing a ride or needing our walk shoveled. Sometimes they're much more intangible. Sometimes we are going through our own dark nights of the soul. Because life changes at a frightening pace sometimes. Human relationships shift and crumble and move and shatter. And often we're left asking ourselves what I call the big questions. What does it mean that we die? What happens after all of that? What's the right thing to do in this morally ambiguous situation I'm finding myself in? How do I climb out of this hole I've found myself in because I've dug myself a little too deep? And above all, are there any real answers to any of this? I don't know where to begin. We fear especially asking for help in those times because the added worries come on that people will judge us about how we're living our lives and the decisions that we make, that they'll analyze us to death instead of offering the help or diagnose us without any degree at all or skill to do that, or they'll just try to fix everything without really meeting the need that I have, or worse of all, I will be shunned if I say this out loud. What do we do in those moments when we need that kind of help? When we need somebody to help us reach deeper and just sort out all of the ephemera and the deep stuff? Again, at the intersection of need and our willingness to help, there is the church. And in this church, there is a, a built-in support system. When you need help in those deep, deep moments of crisis or just uncertainty. Hi, my name's John. I will be your non-judgmental spiritual concierge on this trip. I'm literally called to help here. My vocation is to give that help to those people in the church who need me. Pastoring is my whole purpose for being here. And there's a lot I can do in those moments for people, and there's a lot I cannot do. I can listen. I can listen without talking, believe it or not. I can be the ear in the room you need when really all you need to do is just talk out loud to yourself, but you don't want to feel like you're going mad and talking to the walls. I can be there for you. And if you need somebody to talk to, I can reflect back to you what I am hearing and try to help you sort out all of the random thoughts and the mishmash that happens when we get into those moments. And I can help you lay out a plan and some guidance for how to begin crawling out of things and I can refer you to people who are better at doing these things than I am. I am not a licensed therapist. I can't dig deep into your family history and tease out all those things, but I can help you find somebody who can. And I can keep your confidence. And I can come to you and visit 
especially if you wound up in the hospital. And I can just be the shoulder, the person you need to come for for comfort. Now, what I can't do, as I said, is diagnose. I can't tell you exactly what's wrong with you, because probably there is nothing wrong with you. We just all go through the junk sometimes. I cannot offer therapy to you. I will not judge you. Though, on the other hand, I also will not coddle you. And I can't provide long-term support. But I can be your first stop in trying to make a change and get you the help that you need. All you have to do is call me. I'm really regretting now that I didn't program Lean on Me as one of our hymns today. This is what happens when the order service gets published on a Friday and I'm still working on the sermon on a Saturday. Sometimes things don't align neatly. But like the song says, just call me when you need a friend, when you need anyone. Lean on me. That's what the universe called me to do, and that's why I am here and why I've stuck around here. Once a year or so, I put up a newsletter column repeat about when to call the minister. And it's a long, involved list, and it's not all about crisis. Sometimes it's just, just about having a friendly chat about pop culture or whatever the heck. I love talking to people about that, too. But it ends the same. The most important time to call the minister is when the thought enters your head, I wonder if I should call the minister. The minute you think that, that's the moment that you make the call. If it's happened one time, it's happened too many times. When someone comes to me after the crisis has gotten so bad, there might be no helping to say, man, I was thinking about calling you before. I guess I probably should have. Yeah. Now, let me assure you, it's never too late to call the minister, but it is also never too early to call the minister. Bring me in the moment you think that you need me. But call me. Email me, Facebook me, text me. Whatever your preferred method of communication is, use it. I'm connected to them all. Make the call. Because the other thing that I cannot do as a pastor is read minds. Check that. I do have some psychic power, but it is strictly limited to knowing when Jess needs a cup of tea. So if you're not married to me and thirsty, you will have to use some other method to get out and get in touch with me. That call matters. Especially now, especially these days. The depth of all of our vulnerabilities has just been laid bare the last few years. We're all feeling it. Like I keep saying, everything has been to everything. I know we're all needing things that we don't know how to put into words, don't know how to ask help for. It's enough just to say help in those moments. 
And the call is important because especially when the entire world is hurting, when our whole universe is just a frayed nerve, it's hard, even for me sometimes, to see the personal hurt going on, to be aware of it. I can't always pick up the details when the meta is so huge. We all need help. Sometimes we can't put words to the help that we need. But that's what we are here for. That's what I am here for. The willingness to help is built into the system. It's programmed into our human spirits. So call for help. Because you're not weak. And you are never a burden. Just call. And help's on the way. Maybe so.